Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome, my friends and neighbors, my Mysterians, to another Terry's Mysterious Moments. Once upon a time, there was a curious little girl who cut her finger on a spindle and fell into a deep, deep sleep until Prince Charming rode by and kissed her back to life again. A fairy tale we're all familiar with, right? Sleeping Beauty, of course. How about this? Once upon a time, there was a little girl who was skipping across a frozen body of water when she slipped and fell, banging her head painfully on the ice. Sometime later, she developed a painful toothache to go along with the uh, headache. After suffering for a few days, she went to bed and fell into a deep, deep sleep lasting for several decades. Actually, for 32 years, believe it or not. You haven't heard that one? Well, first of all, it isn't a fairy tale, as demonstrated by the total lack of a Prince Charming. Secondly, the ice thing is only one version of what might have happened that day back in 1876 when Carolina Olson returned home complaining of a ferocious headache. Allow me to take you back to the late 19th century and the little island of Okno, situated just off Sweden's eastern coast in the Baltic Sea. The Olsen family were simple folk, deeply religious, but also prone to believing in witches and spells, in things that go bump in the night. Come to think of it, at the time, they weren't alone in doing so. Education was still rudimentary for most Swedes, and where there's little or no education, superstition seems to run rampant. The family consisted of eight people. Carolina had five brothers and was the second oldest child. That's six, and with the parents, that's eight. As the only girl, Carolina was kept at home to help her mother with the household. When her brothers went to school, she learned to read and write in between doing the laundry and the cleaning and the cooking and the mending that was required for such a large family. But somewhere in 1875, Carolina was finally enrolled in the nearby school, probably so as to comply with the requirements that Carolina learn her catechism, a must in the very Lutheran and rather intolerant Sweden of the time. On a February day in 1876, 14-year-old Carolina slipped on the ice, or so she said. She was alone at the time but came home sporting bruises and an injured head. Some days later, the splitting headache was augmented with a terrible toothache. Mama Olson decided this was all the work of witches and sent her daughter to bed. Carolina 
would not get out of bed until 1908. At the time, the story was that Carolina slept. Her mother washed her and cared for her, ensured she drank at least two glasses of sweetened milk a day. But other than that, Carolina just slept and slept. She was a local phenomenon, a real-life sleeping beauty, lying so well-tended in her bed, while year after year just slipped away. These days, such behavior would have led to some sort of intervention. After all, it isn't normal for a young woman to lie in bed while life passes her by. At the time, the local doctors came and visited, and in 1892, they diagnosed Carolina with a severe case of hysteria, so the poor girl was transported to a nearby hospital where she was treated with electrical shock treatment, which always works. This had no effect whatsoever, neither did all the pricking tests with a sharp needle, where the hospital staff hoped to at least elicit a reaction to pain. Nada. Carolina was returned home to her bed and to her loving mother, having been incorrectly diagnosed with dementia paralytica, which is a late-stage symptom of syphilis. Other doctors came and went, but in general, no one could explain her comatose condition. During all this time, Carolina never spoke, at least not when accompanied by anyone but her mother. Yes, at times she would moan and toss in her sleep. Sometimes she whimpered and wept, but there were no words, no communication. Impervious to all the life that surrounded her in the small cottage the Olson family called home. She slept safe in her own little world of dreams. Now, there are a lot of strange aspects to all this beyond the basic problem of believing a human being can hibernate for 30-odd years. First of all, two glasses of sweetened milk is not enough sustenance to keep a growing teenager or an adult woman alive. Secondly, wouldn't her muscles totally have atrophied had she lain in bed all that time? According to descriptions, other than her being fast asleep, Carolina was in remarkably good shape when she was examined at the hospital in 1892. Assuming she wasn't hibernating, maybe the real reason for all this pretense was that Carolina Olson was hiding from the world at large and that her mother helped her do so. In 1905, Mama Olson passed. In her sleep, Carolina wept copiously. Her aging father took over the care of her, but he was too old to cope, honestly, and so a housekeeper was installed to watch over our sleeping beauty. The housekeeper found some things that surprised her, such as the fact that Carolina's hair was always clean and her nails and hands were always well tended. The housekeeper also claimed that whenever she brought candy with her to the cottage, pieces would go missing when she stepped outside for a moment. But, despite the housekeeper's suspicions, despite the family's attempts to wake her, Carolina still seemed to spend her days in a deep sleep. For obvious reasons, the housekeeper was not quite as devoted to Carolina as her mother had been. The TLC which Mama Olson had expended on Carolina was a thing of the past. 
where Mama Olson had made it something of an art form to keep Carolina looking her best, a true sleeping beauty, her new caretakers did what had to be done and no more. I would imagine that after 30 years of watching her sleep, the novelty had sort of worn off, making Carolina more of an imposition than a beloved family member. In 1908, Carolina woke up. Early in April that year, the housekeeper heard strange sounds from her room, rushed up the stairs to find her staggering about and crying. Carolina was 46 years old and had no memories whatsoever of her last 32 years. She didn't recognize her brothers. She was totally bamboozled by the bright new world to which she'd awoken. Obviously, all sorts descended upon her to test her. She was remarkably unaffected by all those years of inertia, albeit that she had lost an awful lot of weight the past few years of her hibernation, which sort of corroborates the theories that when they were alone, Mama Olson and Carolina ate and talked like normal people, only for Carolina to scurry back to bed at the sound of approaching people. As days became weeks, she regained her strength and her speech, even if she was a hesitant speaker. Tests showed her to be above average intelligence, and she could still read and write, even if she had no knowledge of such basics as geography. The press had a field day, of course, enchanted by this innocent woman who rather liked all the attention. One of the more famous Swedish psychiatrists of the day, Harold Frederstram, visited her in 1910 and spent a lot of time trying to understand what really happened to her. He was quite charmed by this woman who behaved as much, much younger than her actual age and who shyly flirted with him whenever they met. Freiderstrand quickly ruled out total hibernation, saying it would have been impossible for her to sleep through such a long period of time without starving to death. Instead, he thought Carolina had suffered some sort of psychosis brought on by a harrowing event. Her loving mother permanented the situation by supporting her daughter in her need to escape the world. Perhaps the mother enjoyed the attention too. The big question then is, what really happened to Carolina that long ago day in 1876 when she came home bruised and injured? Well, obviously that's something we'll never know, but many believe that she was a victim of severe abuse, maybe by many perpetrators. So traumatic was this event that it destroyed her mental equilibrium and caused her to pull the blankets over her head to shut out the bad stuff of the world. Only one person who does believe Carolina experienced a truly terrifying experience is the Swedish glass artist, Bertil Vallien. Mr. Vallien used a sand casting technique to create his work, and initially he did mostly amorphous shapes and colors. Someone asked him why he didn't cast faces or humans, but Mr. Vallien wasn't interested until he heard the story about Carolina from Okno. For some reason, the story hooked him, and at his next exposition, he revealed a set of human faces male, harsh faces, cold and unemotional. The faces of the perpetrators, Mr. Ballyan explained. The faces of the monsters within, he said. 
These days, these aloof representations of human faces have become emblematic for his work, and he no longer perceives all of them as potential perpetrators, which is a major relief. Whatever dark events triggered Carolina's retreat from the world in 1876, once she woke up, she embraced life to the full. She lived another 42 years before dying in 1950. People who met her described her as a hard worker who seemed content with her life. An odd life, in many ways a stunted life, surely permanently distorted by those unknown events in her distant youth. The Brooklyn Enigma. In 1864, 16-year-old Molly Fancher was thrown from a horse while riding in Prospect Park in New York, and her head struck against the pavement. Thereafter, she was subject to fainting spells and violent headaches. A year later, on June 8, 1865, she was dragged for a block by the Fulton Street trolley car, which she had attempted to leave while it was still in motion. Her spine was injured and her nervous system was completely deranged. She was able to be about, though ill, until February 3rd, 1866. On the morning of that day, she suddenly shrieked, stood on her toes, and spun around like a dervish. Then she bent forward, clasped her feet with both hands, and began rolling around the kitchen floor like a hoop. She was carried to her bed and didn't leave it for 50 years and eight days until she died on February 11th, 1916. While spending 50 years in bed is an enviable enough feat in itself, Molly's story only gets even more interesting. While confined to her bed, Molly developed highly sensitive psychical powers and her supernatural powers, clairvoyant gifts and uncanny exploits made her home on Gates Avenue a tourist attraction, as well it might. Baffling physicians, astounding spectators, and providing newspapermen with endless fodder, Molly Fancher grew so famous that P.T. Barnum reportedly begged her to tour with him under his management. Despite his offer of a swans-down mattress and gold-plated bed, she refused. Some of her remarkable feats, including finding mislaid articles, describing the dress and doings of friends and relatives 50 miles away, predicting thunderstorms several hours before they happened, and reading the contents and letters of unopened books merely by running her hands over them. She could also identify callers at the door before they entered the house. Some attributed her clairvoyant powers to repeated conversations with the dead or with angels and some claimed that she had been to heaven and back several times. Though throughout her illness, Molly went in and out of trances, some of which lasted only a few hours, some of which continued for days, weeks, and even months. The longest trance lasted nine years. Throughout the nine years, her eyes remained closed, and for six years, her body was cold and rigid. There was no evidence of respiration. Her physician could only detect a slight pulse, and she never spoke. Occasionally, she was fed by force, but for some months at a time, she was given no nourishment except a little water. 
During the last three years of the long trance, Miss Fancher's body relaxed to some extent. She spoke once in a while, and she was able to move her left arm with considerable freedom. In that time, she wrote 6,500 letters, a score of poems, and lyric prayers, and made a satin waist and pleated lining for her coffin, among other feats, including crocheting and making wax flowers. So, somehow, Molly Fancher managed to be more productive during a prolonged trance than most people have been pretty much forever. Three years after she woke up from her nine-year trance, she also developed five distinct personalities called Idol, Sunbeam, Ruby, Pearl, and Rosebud. Ruby, a favorite, was described as being dashing and vivacious and very gifted in repartee. By 1894, her health was on the mend and the public had moved on to newer and fresher sensations. She was thereafter nothing more than a bedridden old woman with a passion for fancy embroidery and crocheting. One aspect of Molly, which is glossed over sometimes in accounts, is the idea of the fasting girl. Fasting girls were a Victorian phenomena of girls who survived on little to no food and claimed to have spiritual or mystical gifts. In Fasting Girls, The History of Anorexia Nervosa, Joan Jacobs Brumberg ascribes much of their claims to fraud, hysteria in 19th century parlance, or anorexia. These girls may have seen themselves as spiritual mystics in the vein of Catholic saints like Catherine of Siena. In one case, that of Sarah, Sarah Jacob of Wales, these girls literally starved themselves to death. Her parents were later convicted of manslaughter. Others were exposed as frauds. While Molly Fancher was never proven conclusively to be a fraud, neither were any of her claims of culinary abstinence ever proven definitely. Whether fraud, anorexic, or just plain crazy, there is no doubt that Molly Fancher was a fascinating Brooklynite, one who reminds us of a time when people were keenly interested in the spiritual and mystical, or is it the mystically spiritual, perhaps, and were ready to believe that an ordinary teenage girl from Gates Avenue had visited heaven and returned several times over. So, what to make of these sleeping beauties? I personally have a healthy dose of skepticism, but as I say, and it's an easy cop-out, I'm sorry, these are or were not my experiences, so I can't in good conscience throw rocks at them. What do you think as a listener to these stories? Well, that's what I've got for this week. Thanks for listening to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I hope you'll come back and listen again. Be careful this week. I hope you had a great Halloween because this will be the day after. Be careful. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.